This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. All right, sounds good. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Zach. Uh, good to see you. Uh, good to meet you. I guess this is how we meet nowadays, right? Through, yeah, uh, through Zoom. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization and uh, what you're passionate about? Uh, absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so um, my name is Zach Tusing. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer for a company called ThingLink. And uh, ThingLink's have been around for about 10 years. We focused uh, initially on creating image augmentation and uh, interactivity to, to images. And since that time, we've really expanded quite significantly to um, really annotate anything that's in the digital world. So video, 360, uh, 3D objects. And what our, our focus has become more and more, especially with the pandemic and as we meet today uh, remotely, how do you make um, virtual experiences more engaging and interactive? And that's where the work that we've done, particularly around um, scenario builder and branch-based uh, scenario built-based learning has developed to really focus on utilizing, uh, you know, digital and uh, physical objects and creating more engaging learning experiences with those. Um, and so, what am I passionate about? I mean, I, I really do love working with customers that um, understand, uh, you know, or we can we can help understand what their future may look like with technology and how do you create kind of a, a better a better future together. Um, so that's what I really, really love uh, doing in my day to day job. So you're not using the term metaverse. Please tell me you're not using the term metaverse. <laughs> well, our CEO is. <laughs> I think it's hard to hard to avoid, but uh, with uh, with Facebook taking such a, a big ownership stake in that term, it's uh, I think we're going to have to find another term. Oh, like it's like it reminds me of the term hoverboard, right? Those things are not hoverboards. Okay, <laughs> nothing hovering about them. And the metaverse is not actually the metaverse. The metaverse is a verse, universe above our meta. Anyway, yeah, you get the that. picture. Well, it's, so tell it's so so how is it? How are these instantiated? I was looking at your website and I was trying to figure this out. I mean, what's when you when you talk about um, augmentation to well, you were augmenting you were started with augmenting images, and then you're augmenting other media types. How does that augmentation actually instantiate itself? Yeah, so I mean, the the, the key thing for us has really been around the the editor experience of allowing an end user, such as yourself, to to take any of those baseline media, and they could be digital assets that are created in Unity or created in Adobe or other places. And allows you to take those assets and you know annotate them by incorporating hotspots and these interactive hotspots you can also incorporate text and audio and video and other resources that make that more of a complete experience 
Um, and and what we what we see is that you know it's it's no longer just a, an image. It's an image, and then they you know uh, someone wants to provide a video of, of what goes on, or they want to create a 360 um, video of what's going on in an actual environment, or they want to have a 3D model to further explore. And so the ability to, to annotate and provide additional information and create transitions between those or questions about those um, is, is that kind of that middle ground of, you know, creating a, a virtual environment that's not a unity oriented and back to the metaverse conversation, you know, a, a completely computer generated environment, but one that you with an iPhone could create. You could, you know, take a, a 360 uh, video or image of, around your office um, and then upload that, annotate that with other content, context, and, you know, really within 15 minutes, create a, uh, a, a lightweight version of a virtual uh, environment that you could provide, you know, great context and learning with. I can see how you can, I can see how you can use this for training, but how would you, how would you use it for communication? I mean, do you also, is there a communication methodology behind it as well? Yeah, so originally speaking, the majority of our clients were all doing it for uh, you know corporate communication. So you you know the 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 death by PowerPoint world and um, the the Zoom fatigue. Well, the reason that there is that is that you know you're really you require somebody else to provide that that pathway through an experience. You know, it's hey, click to the next slide. Maybe there's animation. Maybe a speaker is talking about something else, but how do you discover that kind of content on your own? And video that everybody has to read. Well, maybe you know 90% of the content and there's some pieces of that content that are really specific to you. Well, you can develop you know, pieces of content that only a, a user can actually access or a group of users can access that is going to be more uh, aligned specifically to what their needs are. So it does help in, you know, allowing users to have their own generated, you know, self-generated path through communication, through learning. And it's not just rote, hey, you know, we're going to go through this point, then this point, then this point. You can hop around quite easily uh, based off a of base image or resource and then go, you know, what inspires you and what's important to you. So if you were to do that, you'd have to sort of pre-build the entire environment, like just like you were building a deck, but you would allow yeah. people to jump around within it at whatever point they'd like to be. And, and everybody can have their individualized experience of what you're, what you're presenting. Yeah, and that's, and that's really kind of the focus of, of what we did with the scenario builder uh, functionality that we added to ThingLink. Before, what we had were these transitions called transition tags where you could click from one place and go to another image, you go to another resource, not just resources that, that uh, expose themselves on top of an image, but resources that you'd go to another experience. So you could go from uh, an image to a video to a, a 3D object. And what, what we've done with Scenario Builder is, you know, you and I are of an age that we remember our choose your own adventure books that my, my kids didn't have. I love those books. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the kind of ideas that, you know, you can, you can pose a set of questions um, or a set of experiences that, you know, can, can bifurcate or, or, or separate multiple different pathways. And we have a university right now that it's doing, uh, you know, biological outcomes of uh, two different parents and what those impacts might have on their children 
through our scenario builder functionality. So there's you know literally thousands of different uh, combinational uh, gene traits that could show up and express express themselves in a child. And by making different selections and making different uh, choices along that path, you can have a very you know individualized learning path based on those selections that you make. Um, and, and we've focused on the usability of this. So you know as you can imagine, you, you think about it. Well, that sounds difficult. Well. What we've done is really focused on the user experience, and you know, we say if you can create a PowerPoint, you can create a thing link, uh, you can create a scenario that allows you to add these branching points, these assessments, these questions, um, these jump to points that that you know create a much more complete uh, learning experience. So, can you use the tool by itself to actually build that that um, individualized training experience? Yeah, you can use. Thing that we suggest is that you know you have some existing assets that you want to incorporate to make it, um, and, and those existing assets it could be a uh, you know a PowerPoint deck, could be a, an image, could be any any of those types of resources. Um, and then we do suggest from a learning design perspective that you spend a little bit of time and think about what the learning outcome should be and what you're trying to drive instead of playing with a tool and creating a uh, a. a a map of the the unknowable. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's fun to play with, but you really need a goal, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, we, most of our users jump in with just trying to play around, and and but you know, from there, it's really okay. If I'm going to create a complete learning experience, what am I trying to drive from a learning outcome perspective, and what are the steps along that path that that reinforce that learning, and and what do I have to make sure that my my uh, learners know. And, and doing that really create allows you to kind of create a, a much more compelling and um, you know accurate uh, learning uh, solution. Very cool. So did you say uh, you've been around for about 10 years or so? Have you been with the company that long? I have, and I've, I've only been with the company for about a year and a half now. Um, I, I started my career um, in just uh, straight software development technology. Uh, you know, we, we, we were doing outsource product development uh, for a bunch of different companies. Um, in about 2015, I really started working heavily in education. Um, and, and over that time, um, you know, I got to know a lot of different companies in, in the education space. And, you know, when I, when I met with ThingLink about a year and a half ago, I said, well, you know, I'd love the, love the opportunity to work with you guys and started consulting with them and then, you know, joined them full time. Because I do think it's a very interesting and compelling, you know, outside of the conversations of the metaverse, it's a very compelling conversation. Nothing wrong with the metaverse. If it sells, if it sells product, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, the, it's kind of like the word podcast, right? I mean, I remember when yeah. podcasting first came out in 2005, I'm, I'm like, okay, there's no magic here, but for some reason, you know, you create these new terms and yep. everybody wants to just jump on board and VCs are, are going mental going, oh, we want a fun podcasting because it's a cool <laughs> new thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, the, the metaverse is really interesting because the, the, you know, the conversation around it, you know, and I have, I have a 13 year old and a 10 year old, so they're very immersed in video games. And the, the experiences that they hold up uh, are often entertainment oriented as it relates to, you know, what the metaverse is, not necessarily business related. And I see the, the potential value in there, but I do think it's, you know, quite far away outside of the entertainment uh, purposes of 
a game like Fortnite that has virtual concerts in it and my kid, which is, which is great. But for you and I creating those truly metaverse-like experiences, you know, that's a lot of development hours. And so it's, it's a question of, you know, do you develop something that takes six months to develop and then it's obsolete another two months and you've gotten two months of, of use out of an eight month project? Um, or do you try to look at things and go, what are the, what are the incremental steps that we can take along the way to, you know, to combine, you know, resources that we already have, the CAD cam drawings on uh, equipment that you might have, uh, a 360 video, an, an onboarding video, um, and, and create those more as um, metaverse light experiences where you're, you're, you're getting a lot of the interactivity, the, the, you know, the, the focus around immersive environments and spaces, but you don't have to spend six months and hundreds of thousands of dollars on developers creating those experiences that, you know, as I say, might, might not have a shelf life of, of much more than a year. <laughs> Well, it kind of reminds me of all these choose your own adventures because I, I am I'm also a writer and I'm thinking if you've got to sort of map out every possible permutation, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Netflix Bandersnatch. Do you remember that uh, that 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 it was like an interactive, um, I don't know, streaming show, and you could you had at different points during the show you could actually go down this path or this path or this path, and I thought, well, you have to map all those paths out. You have to film out all those paths. So that that just seems like a ton of work to oh, be able right. to do that. So you you're saying that you've figured out ways of being of making it less work. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, an example that we we work with is, is a, a company that does uh, training videos for for the the um, uh, for aerospace, and and particularly they have whenever they launch a new um, airplane and, or whatever, they launch a new training module for a new airplane, how do they get pilots to be familiar with the, the dash alignment, the, you know, the, the pre-flight checklist, um, a, a, a lot of other components? Well, they have, a, they have somebody that's on site when that plane's delivered and they, they walk the staff through what they have to do and what they have to walk through there. Well, how do they train those, those people? Do they fly them into a, you know, a, 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 every time for a new plane? That's the, the typical option. But what they've done now is that they, they go in when a new to the, the manufacturer's facility when they've released a new airplane or new piece of equipment. They do a 360 walkthrough uh, with uh, 360 video and 3D, uh, 3D image, uh, 360 images. And they, you know, do a walkthrough of the entire plane that way. And then they take the CAD CAM drawings, which is a, another 3D object. And go in with a 360 camera and collect uh, footage underneath the plane, each, under each, each wing in the cockpit within a matter of, a, you know, under a day. And now they've got, you know, a dozen or so assets that they can annotate. They can host in their LMS, or they can host them on, on their web page, however they want to do it. Um, and now they've got access to this, you know, virtual uh, airplane that they can train their employees on. They can walk through. Employees can ask questions about what about this, what about that. And now they don't have to fly these people in, you know, every month to check out the new plane or the new equipment update that they've done, so that they can train other people. And then those assets can also live within their you know, the participants. So you get somebody who came into uh, a training, not in their best day, 
they only captured about 30% of the training. And now where do they go? They, they can't call the guy to, hey, walk me through this part of the plan again. Which part now? So it allows them to have that kind of uh, persistent asset um, that, that also allows and supports that uh, training long term. So are there ways to crowd, like crowd, I mean, I was looking at, the way, at some of these options you have where you do museums and you do training and stuff like that. I'm assuming there's ways of crowd setting it up. So I, like if I wanted to add a new data point, like if I had a new insight for a particular point in this thing that I'd be able to do that if, if I have the ability to, is that right? Yeah, there's, there's, there's two things that you can do. Uh, one is that when you create an asset, you can have that as part of anybody in the organization could create uh, additional, you know, they could edit that uh, asset and add additional um, you know, notes or, or features to it. The other, which we find really kind of critical is the ability to, to solicit feedback um, during that learning experience. So the ability for an end user to um, consume, uh, uh, to, to ask questions within that. So providing feedback so you can have check-ins and checkpoints along the, thing, the, the, the journey, the learning journey and say, hey, do you have any questions about this in which they can submit responses particular to a, a particular component of that, um, uh, that learning experience. And you know, not to, to harp on the metaverse, the, the other piece of this that's important is that these assets live, you know, they, they work on your phone, they work on a, you know, a desktop, they work on, work on a tablet, but they also work in VR headsets. So anything that's a 3D object or a 360 uh, work in uh, VR headsets as well, which we are increasingly seeing kind of an application of these these uh, these these VR use cases in in retail and in, in, uh, you know construction and manufacturing, where the persistence of that asset living in multiple modalities is also kind of critical. I mean, it kind of reminds me that there's friends of mine here who uh, run museums and yep. they're having so many issues through through COVID. It's like, what are they going to do? Because, I mean, the whole point of a museum is an is a in-person experience. So if the entire thing was digitized and then you'd be able to sort of communicate to each other through through this through this experience. I mean, is that part of what it can do as well? Not quite, not quite uh, asynchronous or, or not quite synchronous communication. It's asynchronous communication now. So you, we don't have the ability to you know, collaborate and communicate with other uh, ex users of the experience at the same time. Other creators, yes. Other users, uh, not necessarily yet. It is part of our roadmap and what we are working on currently. Um, but you know, the 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 driver really is that. How do you get people from museums, in particular? How do you get people to understand all the amazing assets and? All of us have seen pictures of the Mona Lisa or, uh, uh, you know, various other works of art. You know, personally, I'd rather go visit the, the pyramids in Egypt than, than see them online, regardless of 360 or 3D object orientation. Exactly. So getting people to, to see that the assets that you do have and experience those assets, even in a, in a, in a lighter form is, uh, you know, is a, a, a chance for excitement and a chance for engagement of that audience that might just be disconnected right now. Um, you know, I think I've only been to two museums since the, the, the pandemic began. Um, and it, it's, they're, they're definitely struggling with how to, how to make people know what they have and all the great work that they continue to do. 
Exactly. Absolutely. So did you say that you worked with larger companies before you came? I mean, I think Link is kind of a startup, right? It's only been around for 10 years. How, 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 how many employees do you have? Uh, so we have about 35 employees currently. Um, and then we have consultants that work with us as well. Um, you know, most of those employees are, are engineers. Uh, so most of the time we spend, we're, we're just kind of building out the, the sales and, and go-to-market teams. Um, but we're really focused, you know, heavily on the product uh, engineering currently. Love to talk a little bit about the history of the startup. Are you familiar with uh, ThingLink and, and its history, or? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, maybe you could tell me a little bit about like how it started, like who who founded it, and and like where did the idea come from? Because I, I I love the concept. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, so our our uh, CEO and founder. Uh, uh, Ula started the work with ThingLink as her PhD program, um, you know, at, at the university. So her initial uh, initial thought and plan was that, you know, that the future of media is interactivity, right? So if it's baseline images, you know, an image is worth a thousand words. Well, you know, how do you make it worth ten? Rich experience than just images. And that, you know, rapidly translated to, okay, we're going to create a, an annotation layer on top of, uh, of the internet. And we're going to create, allow for people to annotate anything that's out there on the internet. And, you know, we had a couple of uh, patents associated with it in the initial approach. It, you know, it's founded in 2011. And in, in 2012, we, we started bringing on our first clients. And they were really just, you know, around, okay, here's interactivity that we can apply to images to create more context and more, um, you know, uh, more insights into what, what that core image is. And from that point, you know, it, it's, it was, okay, we're, are we a, a marketing company? Are we a communications company? Um, kind of dabbled in between. Um, but can I ask you what your first, what, what your first customers were, what space they were in and how, how, how you got them? Yeah, the, the, it was all through kind of uh, uh, self-service business. You know, you, you build it and they will come. Uh, model. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the first customers, we had some that were in real estate. We had some that were in retail. We had some that were um, in, in, uh, in education. And so it was uh, all over the map. You didn't actually, did you, did you focus on a specific area or were you just uh, like whatever came in? It was, it was a complete build it. They will come. We, we, we received funding early um, along that journey, and we kind of really focused on the development of the, the tool and the product, um, launched the web properties, uh, brought people in, focused on the, the, the user experience of the application and the onboarding process. And, you know, as a typical software as a service company, there's a, a you know, a free trial. Um, so anyone could really access it. And then if they saw significant value, um, you know, they, they would upgrade to accounts. Um, but there was, I mean, initially really communications and marketing was that first kind of, you know, easiest path to go to. And we, you know, from a, a content marketing perspective, outlining use cases, outlining how people would do stuff was really our driver, but it wasn't any outbound marketing efforts to drive, the, bring those users in. Um, and, you know, the, the, the transition came both from what we added with the technology and the interactivity components of the different types of media, but also what we've seen from the actual education community itself, and that being higher ed and K-12, where they, there was just a lot of 
uh, you know, teachers and professors and uh, you know, education course designers are saying, oh, this is great. This kind of meets a need for the way that we develop uh, content because I can, I can take an image of the, of the water cycle or of the human body and provide a lot more context on it than I would typically or I'd have to. So it allowed, allowed me to get a little deeper with the content that I currently have. Um, and so that work with universities and, and, and K-12 school districts, and then really in the, the corporate e-learning space, started to shape the direction of our business where we started doing more and more in education and really focusing on how do we support these users in a, in a, in a more complete way. So the, then you pivoted to be more higher education or did you create another no, product it, line for that or? So it's all one product line still. And so we still have, you know, a lot of our businesses utilizing for marketing communication use cases. But what, what we've done just now with what I mentioned earlier, the scenario builder tool um, was really focused specifically on the, the K-12 higher ed and, 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 and corporate e-learning markets and providing them a tool that would allow them to develop course uh, material and, and, and product walkthroughs in a more complete way than before. So instead of having a tool that was really just focused on interactivity, this is the focus of creating, you know, branched learning scenarios. And those branched learning scenarios are, you know, very applicable specifically to the, the e-learning environment. Although we have some marketers that are, that are, that are playing with it as well uh, as is, as is uh, per normal. So if I wanted, if I wanted to see a demo of how this operates, would I just go to your site or are there other places that, that are more effective? Like, is there like an amazing demo we can look at somewhere? Yeah, there's there's demos. Uh, we we have a lot of the the core use cases available um, on our on our website, you know, thinglink.com. That has a lot of information about clients and use cases and examples of of uh, uh, thinglinks that are in the wild. There also we have you know tons of onboarding videos and other resources that are available. The and you know and then there's the thing like in the wild of you know, pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies and and, and uh, museums and, and universities that have uh, thing link examples uh, all over the place that we can point links to and we have blog posts to that that outline those. Uh, but as a as a user who's who's uh, new to ThingLink, um, you can just go to ThingLink and say start now. Click the, the the top button and you can get you can get it set up with an account and start playing around with it. There are some, you know, some small limitations of what you can do, but you can get a really good feel of, of what you can do almost instantly. And, you know, back to the user design, the focus being on that, we don't really think you need much training to get up and running. To make it amazing, you, you might need a little bit of time, but uh, to get up and running, it doesn't Amazing take always takes longer, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask a little bit about, I mean, when you in your in your sort of product journey of building this thing and getting it out, have there been any sort of wrong turns and failures, and how you've been able to get over them? Yeah, I, I think that you know there there always are with any any startup, um, any company that's trying to figure out the market and the product market fit. I think that you know some of the the key challenges that we had is that you know initially we you know we focused on trying to be everything to everybody. 
um, you know, and, and when you have a, everyone as your potential um, client, the, the use cases and the requests that come in can be quite extensive and prioritizing the things that are going to be more uh, effective um, along that journey instead of, hey, this might provide us um, revenue because ABC Corporation wants to do this and we'll be able to get there for them. So once we you know, stopped being um, reactionary to the market and really focused on you know, what are the core things that we want the company to become and what are the core things that are you know, kind of fundamental to the, the, the experience of, of our users, I think that was really kind of a turning point for the company. And that really went when we focused mostly on the editorial experience, the ease of creation, that what that, you know, what, what that onboarding process looks like for a new creator and how easily they can go from um, having nothing to having something they can share with other people um, really kind of changed the, 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 the success factors for us. Um, because it's like any tool, you, if, you, if it's not easy and it's not you know, intuitive and it doesn't meet that core case of, hey, I wanna create something I can share, um, there, there's, you, you, you kind of get a lot of people that aren't um, 100% satisfied. Well, it's, a, it's amazing how there's basically no loyalty left, right? If something's slightly easier, <laughs> I'm just going to go try some. I'm just going to go do that instead, right? It's like yeah. just hop from one thing to another. And yeah. um, I mean, I'm assuming you've got competitors in your space. I mean, how closely do you watch what they do? I mean, are you like, are you the leader in your space? Are you second? Where 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 are you in your space? So we, we're the originator in the space and, and there are a, a bunch of different players. And I, I think that what, what we see is that, you know, from, from what we do fundamentally, there isn't a, a truly analogous play uh, that, that is a direct competitor to us. So there's, there's organizations out there that are focused on the, the virtual tour or the real estate tour world, because there's a, there's a big market for that. And um, because they're very specific around, hey, I'm gonna create a, a real estate tour. Um, and you know I, I wanna have call to action so you can you know, contact the realtor now, you know, that, that's a little bit different than us. There's folk companies that have focused on, you know, content interact, uh, interoperability or uh, interactivity. It's really just on images. So it's more of the, um, you know, the kind of the, the Prezi world of creating interactive presentations, um, which, you know, that's, we see that as something that we can do, but it's not really what we're focused on. What we're what we're focused on is that kind of intersection of all those different media types. And, you know, most of those play players don't support, you know, 3D objects or 360 imagery or right. you know, include video. So it's, you know, we're combining all those different experiences. So the things that they might do specifically well for a particular industry, we do well across the board. Um, and, and they might have some more depth around areas, but we have more depth across the product. Um, but you know, it's if there weren't competitors, uh, we probably either we'd be in a different place or we wouldn't be here at all. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, <laughs> you you it, you you know, it's a space that's got some value to it. And do you think that I'm assuming that the the pandemic probably upped your game, right? I mean, you yeah. you had a lot more companies coming to you going, we need this now because we can't uh, do things in person any longer. 
Yeah, it, it was kind of amazing when the, when the pandemic, uh, you know, started to, to to really, when people knew it was not business as usual, and it's not going to be just a, a, a couple of weeks here, uh, you know, we're going to shut down for two weeks and it's already back to normal. The 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 companies that came out of the woodwork were, were, were really, you know, surprising, like, you know, Fortune 50 companies like, hey, we are sick and tired of, of, of video conferencing. Can you give us another solution to be able to support the way we communicate with our with our users, or you know, or retail companies? You know, we need to train people, but we're not flying people trainers out to locations anymore. Um, how are you going to be able to support that? Um, and and that was really quite a you know an interesting time because it made us rethink the product because now mm-hmm. it was. We always felt that this was coming, but it accelerated everything um, and and accelerated how we had to support our clients and how we had to work with our clients. And I'm super proud of our development team and, and the, the number of releases and the number of updates they've done uh, over the last 18 months, because it's uh, in, in the light of everything that's going on, they've, they've really evolved the product quite significantly. Yeah, that's the thing about crises they they tend to push innovation for some reason <laughs> you know it's like you you it's almost like you need that because if you think about yeah. telecommuting we've had telecommuting since 1982 but there's still yeah. companies that say you know you got to come into the office but uh... <laughs> yeah and it's 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 wild because i mean i think that you know we've i i started like i i had my first client in in education in 2001 and at the time it was with the state department of education we were doing some uh, portal work with them. And at that time, they were really focused, hey, we want to have learning anywhere. We want to have people access to resources anywhere. And we want to create these, you know, virtual experiences that are the same as in-classroom experiences. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, now you're starting, people are saying, oh, we actually have to do that now. And it's, you yeah. know, the, the companies like, you know, Coursera and edX and 2U that are really, hey, you know, if we're going to do online education, we've got to do it different. We can't just capture a lecture video and have a, a, you know, a professor speak for 50 minutes in lecture and have some notes on the side and expect that experience to work. Um, because I think that they've seen that, you know, the, the, the course completion rates aren't so great when you have to watch, you know, yeah. 60 yeah. hours of lecture time. <laughs> With no interactivity of your fellow students or or note sharing. So. Exactly, exactly. Although if you think about it, there's way more interactivity in in what you're doing than in a typical in person lecture, right? Because yeah. you're just sitting back listening to the professor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like passing out, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> how boring is this guy? My first few years of college, I was able to figure it out after that. But yeah. <laughs> Exactly. All right. So now it's time to think like a futurist. It's 10 years out. It's the year 2030, 31, 2031. Where do you think you're, you're, you'll be? Are, are you going to be like fully immersed in the metaverse? And that's, that's all you're going to be, we, we're going to be doing? Well, I, I hope not. Uh, I, I do enjoy <laughs> being outside nature, but I, I think that, that there is going to be a significant uh, you know, a switch to the experiences that we have, right? We, we've got this two-dimensional interactivity that we have between each other now. Um, you know, yes, we have voice and we can add prompts and some other things, but you know, what's, what's, what are you looking at right now? What am I looking at? 
what's, you know, what is my colleague to the right or the left or, you know, my virtual right or the left, uh, you know, you know, how are we interacting with them? So I do think that there's going to be some changes. And I, I think that where we see the kind of the future of learning is that on demand, anytime access to resources. And to your point earlier on podcasts, the, the types of information and the types of learning that are available and as you can make those things richer and more engaging and more interactive, I think that they're going to become more accessible and you go from that, you know, that, that baseline rote learning to much more experiential learning where you force a learner to, to engage in different ways, solve problems in, you know, in context of that experience that does, you know, statistically and, and, and research oriented uh, prove, prove better learning outcomes. I do think that that's probably where we're going to get to a lot closer where it's, you know, it's not just, you know, a stand and deliver model, but, you know, you've got to seek out that knowledge. You have to interact with that to get kind of the content instead of flipping on a video in the background and letting it play while you, uh, you know, surf uh, Instagram on your phone. Yeah. Typical, typical actual college students. But <laughs> I mean, this is, it's interesting you say that because it almost, almost makes making me think that there's going to be some kind of convergence of gaming and education, because you've got to be able to add some elements to the education to make it more, more interactive and engaging because a lot of education is really pretty dry, right? And you got to make it more engaging. So if you bring in more gaming elements, if, if these combine together, then you'd be able to make it as sticky as gaming and as and as powerful as education. So do you see that happening? Some kind of yeah. cross-section going on there? I mean, the, the gamification of education has been going on for you know quite a long time. And you know, the, you, you take a company like Duolingo and, and what they've done with the the, the contests and the daily goals and the objectives associated with learning a language. And, and obviously there's Babel and others that do, do similar things that they've, you know, a lot of companies have already figured that out, but I do think that, you know, creating these experiences that you, you're getting credit for the journey, not just the, the, the end outcome is important because not everybody learns in the same linear focus and they, and, and they might, master a component that others won't. And, and so being able to have those checkpoints and utilize the data associated with it to understand what a learner learn, how a learner learns, what they're experiencing, why they're experiencing it, and, 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 and really giving credit for the entirety of their experience, not just the, the results associated with a, a, you know, a formative assessment um, is kind of critical. It's interesting you should mention that because I'm always under the impression that anything that's too gamified, like Duolingo, is not like a serious teaching tool. It's almost like a, an armchair teaching tool. Oh, I really want to learn Japanese, so I'll use Duolingo. Um, my son is trying to learn German through Duolingo, and he's been doing it. He's done thousands of exercises, and he still doesn't feel like he's any closer to learning German. Well, <laughs> so I almost feel like there's a limit. <laughs> there's like there's like, this is almost like play learning as opposed to like real learning. And that's what I'm saying is that maybe there's, there's this juxtaposition where you can take real learning, the, the serious intense stuff that's really trying to teach you something and not gamify it in a light way, but gamify it in that, you know, you, you fill in the entire, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about with the, with this uh, air, air, you know, airplane simulator, right? An airplane yeah. simulator can be a gaming environment, but can also be incredibly educational. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I, I think that the, the Duolingo is designed to be a, a lightweight learning experience that you do in five or 10 minutes a day. 
and it's something to, you know, an enrichment activity as opposed to, um, you know, are we going to pass you the, the nuclear codes um, based on your knowledge? <laughs> Um, so I, I, I think that the, the rigor and the structure and the, the material of it, there's ways to gamify just about anything. And there's some companies out there that are doing really great gamification, but it's not an easy topic. It's not something you can just say, hey, we're going to gamify, uh, um, you know, uh, molecular biology by doing A, B, C, and D. You can add gamified components. You can add you know, the checkpoints, the list, the competitive scenarios, the, you know, the escape room type, you know, games in, into it. But, you know, it still comes down to, you know, fundamental learning design and creating experience that incorporates the best of both worlds and not just, you know, not just gamify a learning right. experience. So do you see, I mean, I'm thinking now that you're saying that is like in 10 years, well, I mean, right now, the metaverse, let's, let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> is is pretty light. I mean, there's not that many. I mean, you can go to Costco and buy an Oculus for $3.99. Yeah. And uh, there's still not that many people who actually use VR, AR, or Metaverse tools. Yeah. I mean, do you think in 10 years is going to be way more prevalent? That'll be like the, the number one thing that we use? I'm just waiting for the Apple goggles. I think once the Apple goggles are here, that's probably when it's going to really start taking off. Well, I, so I, I think that it's still going to take some time. So is 10 years the point where you know, virtual reality headsets um, come into their own outside of entertainment purposes, right? So I, you know, I have an Oculus for my kids downstairs. They they played two or three games on it quite a bit when we got it to them for their their uh, for their birthday over the summer. I don't think they've had it on since. Um, really and, and so, interesting. So, so even that experience, I think that there there's there's use cases for that type of technology that we're going to see, you know, increase significantly, but there's two major challenges with it. One is the content creation process, right? So it, it takes time and it takes effort to develop these truly virtual environments where I do think that, you know, ThingLink plays a, a really critical role of creating content that is not, you know, uh, you know, an, an alien coming down from space and you you're shooting it out of the sky, but you can utilize it to show your, 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 you know, your new facility across the world to your users. And there's the, the kind of the, you know, the, 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 the application of effective learning design within the virtual environment. So, you know, what does a, a true immersive learning simulation look like? And I, I think there's a lot of people that are creating that, but it's it's a, a kind of a time and a bandwidth perspective. How many people have the ability to create that those those amazing learning scenarios for uh, and to back to your uh, choose your own adventures that have the almost unlimited variation to them to actually create a really immersive um, you know personalized learning path within a virtual environment. Um, and, and maybe the gaming companies switch to, to education companies along the way. I, I don't know. <laughs> I know that you know, Unity and uh, Epic Games are both gaming companies. And oh yeah, you know, exactly. And they're not only in, in gaming anymore. So <laughs> yeah, no, it, that's exactly right. And, and I'm thinking that there's it's like where are we gonna? Where, can we actually spend most of our time in some kind of metaverse? Or will we still be sitting behind screens like we are now? I, I think we're going to be still sitting behind screens, but I think that the, the metaverse is going to 
start to you know uh, capture a bigger part of our day. And if the, if the if the percentage of my time in VR environments zero now, maybe it's only going to be you know two to five percent. But that is a huge you know jump for the the majority of the population. That's true. But as I said, the Apple goggles. Once the Apple goggles are here, if they can turn this thing into a, a consumer product that's 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 widespread, I think that's where that's where we'll, we'll pick it up. I, I foresee the you know the Ready Player One world where everyone's wearing those augmented reality goggles. That might be a while. Yeah, it might be a while before we get there. Well, it's very cool. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. This has been fantastic. So, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Just go to thinglink.com yeah, or thinglink.com or Zach at thinglink.com. Um, that's the easiest way to get me. Uh, and I really appreciate it, Chris. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. This has been great. All Talk right. to you soon. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye bye.